Amen. We thank you that you sent your Son, who indeed is holy and perfect and righteous and paid the price that we couldn't pay, that we might have eternal life. We pray, Lord, as we go to your word right now, again, that you'd be our teacher. I thank you for everyone who's here. We know that we're all here by divine appointment, that nothing happens by chance in your kingdom. Lord, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Good to have you here again. Please turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 31, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament on Wednesday. We'll be in Romans, the second half of 15, and Lord willing, 16 on Sunday, so read ahead. Um, We'll see how that goes. And uh, again, I know Pastor Bill mentioned it, but if you have not been baptized... May I encourage you to do so. You you do not need to be baptized to be saved, but baptism is fruit of salvation. It's an outward statement of an inward change. It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, and it's a picture of the fact that as born-again believers, we've died to the person we used to be, and we are now new creations in Christ. Baptism is subsequent to salvation. So if you're baptized as a baby, you need to be baptized again. Amen? Because baptism is something you do when you understand that, yes, I am a sinner, I needed a Savior, I've been born again, and now it's a public confession of something that has happened in your life. So pray about that. I want to, we don't have any classes or anything. You just you need to be saved and say, I want to be baptized. I want the whole world to know that I want to be identified with Jesus. All right, Numbers 31. Now, Numbers, just again, we have some new folks here tonight. I'm not going to take a lot of time, but I want to just kind of give you the context of what's going on. A better term or a better way of of titling this book would have been In the Wilderness. This is the time after the children of Israel have been delivered out of bondage in Egypt. They were in bondage for 400 years. They were delivered out of bondage in Egypt. God sent Moses. If you've seen the movie Ten Commandments, you know what I'm talking about, right? God sent Moses, and Moses delivered them. God used Moses as a man, delivered them through the plagues. Pharaoh finally let them go. They crossed over the Red Sea. They were encamped at Mount Sinai for 13 months. During the time that they were there, God gave them directions on how to live, and, and then he, he gave them instructions as they were to head to the land of promise. But from Mount Sinai to Canaan is an 11-day walk, and that 11-day walk turned into a 40-year death march because they disobeyed God. God told them to go into the land, they got to the outside of the land, and they were afraid because they said there's giants in the land and we can't defeat them, and they didn't have faith, and they didn't trust God, and because of that, God said, okay, you're not going to enter in. And so for the next 40 years, it was a slow death march as the entire generation of adults, 20 years and above, all died. Now we come to, to the numbers in the chapter, chapter 23, 24, 25, 26 in there, and now the new generation is starting to take over. And now when they come to the land of Canaan, they obey God. Where their older generation disobeyed, they're brought right back to the same spot. They obey the Lord, and they defeat the enemies that God puts before them. And now the last few chapters, He's been preparing them to enter into the land of promise. Now tonight, this is an awesome chapter, like every chapter in the Bible is, but I titled the message, The Sanctified Life. Because if you've been coming on Sunday mornings to our Roman study, you've seen Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, a church he had never been to, a church he had planned on going to and would visit later, and he wrote them biblical or doctrinal truth. Doctrine is just a big word for biblical truth. And he, he shared with them, okay, you know what the Gospels are, you've understood, you've been taught the Gospel, now how do you apply that to your life and what does it mean? And just briefly, we saw in Romans that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. 
If you're here tonight, you're a sinner. Because all have sinned to come short of the glory of God, and you're part of all. Amen? And all means all. So we're sinners, and God can't have sin in heaven, or have one sin in heaven, he'd have earth part two. So Jesus came and paid the price, so we've been born again, if we've given our lives to him. He hung on the cross, took all of our sin upon himself. But it doesn't end there. It's not just the get out of hell free card, as you've heard me say many times. But it's living a life that's been changed. And that's what this chapter is really all about, is a sanctified life. It's not just Christ dying for me, but Christ living in me. And here we are in Numbers 31, hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth, and we're going to see a clear picture, an application for you and I, of how we're to live lives set apart unto God. Christianity is not joining a, a religion or, or, or joining a country club or checking off a box next to your name or anything like that. It's a transformed life. And we should live different every day because of it. And so we're seeing here in the text, first we'll see again the, this picture of sanctification being set apart unto God, and we'll see how it applies to every one of our lives. And we're going to see the children of Israel, they're getting ready to go in, and god got this unfinished business that must be met before they enter into this land of promise, and God's going to bring righteous judgment tonight on the Midianites. And some of you have already talked to me. You came up to me and said, I read Numbers 31, and man, it's thick. I can't believe, you know, how, why would God, we're going to talk about that. Why would God wipe out an entire people? Let me make sure you understand something right away. God is always righteous, He's always holy, He's always perfect, and everything He does is right. Amen? Always. Now, we will struggle sometimes with some of the things we see happen, but hopefully after tonight, you'll understand why the people of Midian had to be wiped out completely. And he wiped them out, not only because they rebelled against him, but because they stumbled his own children and caused them to sin and to serve idols. In so doing, God's going to continue to prepare the children for the, their time when they would be in the land of promise. So tonight, if you take notes, the sanctified life. Here's some things we're going to see that is true of the sanctified life. Number one, if you're living a sanctified life, you're in the battle. You're involved in the battle. Okay, you're not on the sideline, you're not just a pew potato, you're involved in the battle, amen? You don't just come to church on Sunday for an hour or on Wednesday night for an hour, but literally, you're involved in the battle, we'll talk about that. If you're living a sanctified life, you're led by the Holy Spirit. If you're living a sanctified life, you respond in obedience to God's command. So you're involved in the battle, you're led by the Spirit, you respond in obedience to God's command, and through the law and the Holy Spirit, you begin to truly understand what sin is. You know, the more we fall in love with the Lord and the closer we get to Him, the more that we see sin the way God sees it. The more it grieves us the way that it grieves God. We'll also continue to grow and be purified as we walk with Him. So let's begin in verse 1 of Numbers 31 in living a sanctified life. And we're going to first see that if you're living a sanctified life, you're in the battle. Okay? And we're going to talk about some of the blessings of being someone who is in the battle. Look at verse 1 of Numbers 31. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. Now, let me address the second half of that verse first. He shall be gathered to his people. What does that mean? He's going to die. You, re you remember that he got angry when the people were murmuring. Remember, for, he had three million whiners that he was dragging through the wilderness for 40 years. And we saw that Moses was a very gracious guy, but finally he just, he just pop, you know, he pops a cap. He just loses it, right? 
He's just fed up with them. And, he, they, and they're crying out and murmuring, we want to go back to Egypt and we used to have leeks and onions and there's no water and, you know, three million people like that. And Moses just says, man, and he's, you know, and by God's grace, he's lasted as long as he has. But finally, God tells him, you know, go and speak to the rock and water will come out of it. And Moses gets angry and he goes over and he smotes the rock with a stick. And he hits it twice. And the rock is a picture of whom? Jesus. Now, that rock was only supposed to be hit once, and he did it in anger, and he, he portrayed God in an ungodly way. He portrayed God as being angry when God was not angry, and God said, okay, because of that, you're not going to enter the land of promise. But Moses continued to, to intercede for the people. And so God is telling him right here, Moses, you're going to be joined with your people. He's 120 years old at this point. His days are numbered, so you're about to go into heaven. But Moses, before you go, i got one more thing for you to do. That's what he tells them. Look what he says here. Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. You know what this tells me? This tells me that God is not through with us until we get to heaven. Amen? He's 120 years old. You think, he, you know, I should be able to kick back and retire for a little bit, right? I mean, can I go play some golf and like drink some lemonade or what, right? I mean, it's retirement time. Here's the reality. You may retire from your job. But you never retire from being in the battle, in the spiritual battle, amen? We're still living our lives as Christians sold out for God. If we retire from that, we might as well just quit. We might as well go to heaven. Because God has us on this planet to use us for His glory. And so He looks to Moses and, you know, Moses could have just said, well, Lord, I don't get to go in the land of promise, just take me home, right? He doesn't do that, though. He, Lord says, I got one more assignment for you. And praise the Lord, you know what? No matter how old we are, God is not through with us if we're still breathing in and out. Amen? When you stop breathing, then He's done with you. And until then, let's be faithful. And so Moses, you're still in the battle. You're 120 years old. I've told you you're coming home soon, but you're not done yet until I call you home. Retirement for us as believers is in heaven. And it's nothing short of that. People have asked me about that. What are you doing for your retirement, Pastor Dave? I said, I'm not retiring. What am I worrying about that for? I'm going to either be raptured or drop dead teaching the Bible, one or the other, because I'm not quitting, okay, unless I'm drooling on myself and I don't know where I am, you know, <laughs> if that happens then you'll, you'll, you'll cart me out of here, right, when I'm 93 or whatever, but the reality is that God has us in the battle and he has us in it for a lifetime, and Moses understood that, and God said, I'm not done with you, Moses, you're 120, but I still want to use you, I still have a plan for you. And so you're going to go in, and here's what you're going to do. He says, you're going to take vengeance on the Midianites. Now, this is a, something that we all, a lot of us struggle with. God taking vengeance. Now, the reason that we struggle with vengeance, because when you and I take vengeance, we don't do it in a godly way. Amen? We do it in an evil way. We do it with our own motives. We do it to get even. We do it because somebody wronged us. And that's not right. God doesn't want us to do that. He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so we see here that God is preparing uh, Moses and preparing the people that he's going to go in and he is going to bring righteous judgment upon the Midianites. Now what is God's wrath or what is God's vengeance? It is a holy and consistent reaction to that which is contrary to God's will or God's law. It's something where Somebody has repeatedly over time resisted the Lord and eventually they reap the judgment of their actions because they continue to reject God. Nobody will be in hell that did not run over the cross of Christ to get there. 
Everybody will say no to the cross, no to the cross, no to the cross, and then they will get what they've been asking for their entire lives. Moses, God says, I'm going to use you to bring vengeance on the Midianites. And I love again, here he is, a 120-year-old man, and God's going to use him. And by the way, I thought about something, that our age is irrelevant when, it's call, when it comes to calling. You know, it, it, whether you're four years old or 104 years old, God wants to use you. You know, there's a family that's here because my niece gave an invitation to their daughter, and she was five, right? I mean, God can use you when you're four, five, eight, ten. Sometimes we think, when I'm old, then God can use me. When I'm retired, when, I'm, when my kids grow up, God wants to use you right now. Amen? And may you be, just be willing to let, it, let Him use you. So we see here God's wrath or His vengeance is most often in response to man's rebellion and repeated refusal to repent. A rejection of God's grace usually accompanied with an attack on God's people. And it's only evil when it's done in our hands. When it's in God's hands, it is always righteous. Now why is He going to bring vengeance against these people, the Midianites? If you were here for Numbers 25, if you'll recall, there was a man by the name of Balaam. And a man by the name of Balak, who was afraid of the children of Israel because they had been victorious over any enemy that came against them because God was on their side. Balak calls for this guy, Balaam, who's a prophet, and says, I want you to curse the children of Israel. And he goes up on the mountain, and every time he looks out at him, he can't curse them. And so... Balaam later comes up with a plan and says, you know what, I can't curse them and we can't beat them militarily because God's on their side. But here's an idea. Send all your women in there and have your women draw them into to relationships, have them fall into sexual sin, and then what you can do is draw them away into idol worship and that's the best way to defeat them. And so the Midianites came in in Numbers 25 and the women came in and did just that, enticed them into idol worship. And at the end of chapter 25, the Lord says... I'm going to bring vengeance upon you. Okay, I'm, okay look, I want you to go after them, Moses. So this is the fulfillment of their rebellion against God and them coming against God's children and attacking them. You know, it's a, it's a blessing for me to know that when people come after me, they're coming after the Lord. I'm His kid. If someone comes after one of your children, how do you respond? I mean... Pastor Bill and I have talked about this. If I ever get disqualified from ministry, it'll be because someone's wailing on one of my kids and your pastor just goes off, right? By God's grace, I hope I don't ever do that, right? But there's this thing about when someone grabs one of your kids and is harming one of your kids, you just kick it into a whole other gear, don't you? Right? And you're like, Lord, help, because I'm going to harm this guy in Jesus' name if I'm not helpful, you know, I'm not careful, right? And the reality is that I'm an imperfect dad and it breaks my heart when someone harms my children, but you know what? We're his kids. And someone comes and attacks us in some way, they're attacking the Lord. And when the Midianites went in and were trying to draw the children of Israel away into idol worship, they were attacking the Lord. And the Lord is gracious, but at some point, He's going to bring righteous judgment. And that's what's going to happen to the Midianites. Look at verse 3. It says, So Moses spoke to the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves for war, and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. You know, it's interesting, he says, arm yourselves. If you're going to be effective in battle, you must be armed for battle. If you're, if you're going to be a soldier for the Lord, and, and we battle a spiritual battle, not a physical one, we're not going to be mounting up armor and going out and fighting people, because we battle, the battle we're in is a spiritual one. Amen? But if you go to, a, I'm not going to read it to you, but in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18, it talks about the armor of God. And in the armor of God, there's one offensive weapon. What is it? Sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. It's the Bible. 
And so if we're going to be prepared for battle, we must know what this book says. Amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you want to be able to share with your coworkers and minister to people and counsel people that are struggling, you better know what the Bible says because this is the answer book. This is the teacher's edition. Amen? It's got all the answers in it. And you crack this thing open and you can share where hope comes from, from the Bible. And so he says, arm yourselves because you guys are going to go it into battle. It's the only offensive weapon. The sword, the Word of God, verse 4 and 5. A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel you shall send out to war. So there was recruited from the divisions of Israel 1,000 from each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. Now this number 12,000, how many people do we have? How many children of Israel are there roughly? How many? 660-something thousand men, and there's between 2.5 and and 3 million total people. 12,000 is a very small number. But the reason we're going to see as we continue through the chapter that God uses a small number that, one, He might be glorified. Because you know what? If you go out and fight 600,000 men against 600,000 men and you win, you might think it had something to do with you. If you have 12,000 men going and fighting against 600,000 men and you win, then you know it's God. Amen? And that's part of the reason why He limits the, the size of the army. But I also believe as we go through this, you're going to see an application for us as well. So the first thing that we see in a sanctified life is we're involved in the battle. We're not just sitting on the sideline, no matter how old we are. We don't retire. We're armed for battle. We're equipped and we're prepared to be used by God. And even when we're outnumbered, it's 12,000 against the entire Midianite army. I don't know the number of the Midianite army. It doesn't say. But I'll tell you this. I believe it's over 100,000. And the reason I do, I'll tell you in a minute as we get to the end of the text. So they're outnumbered, but God's going to be glorified. They're involved in the battle. They're not just sitting back, waiting for the rapture. Amen? They're, not, you know, they're, they're proactive in their faith. They're being faithful to be used by God. So you're, they're active in the battle. And number two, they're led by the Spirit. Look at verse 6. Then Moses sent them to war, 1,000 from each tribe. And he sent them to war with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, with the holy articles and the signal trumpets in his hand. Now Phineas, what do we remember about him? Remember back in chapter 25 when they sent the women in to entice the men and the guys fell for it and 24,000 guys died. God brought a plague and 24,000 guys died. And one of the guys, a guy named Zimri, was so bold that he brought this temple prostitute right back into the tabernacle. And just said, yeah, what are you going to do about it? You know? And the girl he brought was actually the child, the daughter of one of the Midianite kings. And she was an idol worshiper and she was a prostitute. And he brought her in and just like mocked God right in the tabernacle. And this young guy, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, what did he do? He picked up a what? A spear or a javelin and he threw it through them. Wham! Just, you know, they got the point, right? He pinned them to the wall. And when he did it, he did it because he was grieved that they would just be so ungodly and flaunt their sin right before the Lord. Now, again, what a great picture for us that we need to cleanse our houses. Amen? We can't just, oh, just turn our eye to sin in our home. It doesn't matter if I got that garbage in my house or this in my house. The reality is if we don't cleanse our house, that it's going to bring judgment upon our house. We're going to, it's going to cause our kids to stumble. It's going to, it's going to do harm to our marriages. So this zealous young priest who had cleansed the camp is now the one that God sends out to lead them into battle. And I love this because it says here that he took with him, Phineas, the, the holy articles 
and the signal trumpets in his hand. The holy articles, as I looked it up and studied, I believe that he took the Ark of the Covenant. And I believe he had guys help him carry it. The Ark of the Covenant is the picture, or it's, it's where the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. If you don't know what that is, it's a box, and inside of it had the Ten Commandments, it had Aaron's rod, and it had a jar of manna, all of it pointing to Christ. And they carried this thing out in front of them, and as they carried it out in front of them, it was saying, God goes before us, and we're putting our faith in the Lord. And they were blowing a trumpet, and blowing a trumpet was to gather or direct the people. And what I love about this, back in Numbers chapter 10, when he talked about the trumpet, it was so the people would not only be looking up, because every morning, how did they know when it was time for the entire camp to move? They looked over the tabernacle, and God's Shekinah glory, pillar of fire, pillar of cloud, it would move. And when it moved, they followed. So when they woke up in the morning, the first thing they did was look up to make sure, oh, we got to move. Everybody pack up, it's moving, right? And that's a great thing for us, so we need to be looking up. But not only did they need to be looking up, the other thing that would happen when it was time to move, that trumpet would sound, so they had to be looking up and they had to be listening. And what a picture for us that we need to be looking up, seeking God's face, and we also need to be listening to that still, small voice, the moving of the Holy Spirit. And so he's going before them, he's got the the holy articles, and he's blowing the trumpet, and they're following the sound of the trumpet. Again, being led by the Holy Spirit, being led by the glory of God and following after Him into battle. You know, the reason we, we struggle, the reason we go out and we, we get beat up is because we're not following God. We're going our way, right? We go our way and we ask God to bless it. Lord, I'm doing this. I know it's contrary to the Word, but I'm doing it anyway. And God bless it. Man, God's a no-fun bummer God. He didn't bless it. Well, He's not going to. You know, it'd be like one of my kids saying, Dad, I'm playing on the freeway. Bless it right? Just bless it. You know, just be happy for me, dad, because I'm really having, I'm not going to be happy for you. I'm dragging you off that freeway if I have to break your arm, right? Why? Because I love you and I don't want you to get hit by a bus. Amen? And the reality is that we often, we're not following God. We're not seeking after the Lord. Living a sanctified life is putting God first and following him. He's the one who leads. He's the one who guides. He's the one who directs us in everything. So these holy articles went before them. And again, if you, were, if you were fighting a strategic battle, would you be carrying like a golden box out front? Would that be like your first choice? I don't think so. That's saying, what they're doing is they're saying, God, you know what, it doesn't make any sense from the world's perspective. What you would do is you put your most yoke guys up front carrying javelins or something, right? You wouldn't put a guy up there blowing a trumpet carrying a box, right? That's probably not the best military strategy. But yet again, what does it do? It makes sure that God is glorified when they're victorious, when the guys walk up with a box, right, and they're carrying it, and the guy's blowing a trumpet, and people are following them behind them, and you're outnumbered 10 or 20 to 1, and you win the battle, that's God. Amen? And the same is true when you're going through difficulty in your life, and the, and the odds seem insurmountable, and God blesses it, that's God. And He gets glorified. And that's exactly why this is happening. So the trumpet was blown to call them together, and the children of Israel had to listen. So the sanctified life is involved in the battle and is led by the Spirit. Number three responds in obedience to God's command. You know, one of the things that... I was just on the phone yesterday with a couple different people, and it's amazing to me how people who say they know the Bible, and I will share the Bible with them, and they'll just say, I just don't want to do that. You know, I just don't want to do that. I, you know, I know the Bible says it, but I got my own plan, and I'm just going my own way. And then they wonder why there's so much struggle. And the reality is that, does God love you? He loves you so much, He can't live without you. He's numbered the hairs on your head. You are always on His mind. 
he's always thinking about you. You're always thinking about you, and so is he, right? I mean, and so he's always thinking about you, and he loves you so much, and when you realize how much God loves you, why do we run from him when things get tough instead of running to him? And so God gives us commands, again, because he's a loving God. We don't always fully understand them, but we need to trust him. Verse 7. So it says there, And they warred against the Midianites just as the Lord commanded Moses, and they killed all the males. Now, as we're going to talk about in a minute, I believe this number to be 100, 150, 200,000 guys, 12,000 guys against a number 10, 20 times as many, and they wipe them all out. Why are they victorious? Because they respond in obedience to the Word of God. Do you want to have a life that's victorious, a life that is fruitful, a life that, is, that you can rejoice in, a life that is blessed? Then walk in obedience to the Word of God. Amen? When we walk outside of His will, consequences will come because we've decided we know better than God. I know better than you, Lord. I'm just going my own way. I'm in rebellion against you. They obeyed God, and there was a great victory. Their parents had disobeyed God, said there were giants in the land, and they missed out on God's blessing. Verse 8. They killed all the kings of, the Midian, of Midian with the rest of those who were killed. Eva, Rechem, Zer, Hur, son of Ben, I think, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. Now, so the, these kings that were there were all put to death, and it's interesting that one of them, Zer, his daughter was the one who got the spear thrown through her. And now he's dying, just as his daughter was sent in, in rebellion to try to draw God's people away, so too he dies. And it's interesting, the same, these very guys who they had sought to stumble and sought to draw away from the Lord are the very ones who came in and wreaked God's judgment upon them. Now look at the rest of this verse. Here's a name you're going to recognize. It says, and Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. Balaam. What a tragic story Balaam is. Because Balaam was a, quote, prophet, and Balaam was a guy that God certainly revealed himself to him numerous times. The Lord spoke audibly to him. Then the Lord appeared to him. Remember, he was on his way to go to Balak, and the Lord got in his way and was holding up a sword and was trying to stop him. And he wouldn't stop. You remember that? And so what happened? The donkey talked to him. It's not Shrek, but the donkey talked to him, right? The donkey turned around and said, Dude, you are outside of your mind. Why are you kicking me? Don't you see this, that God's right in front? There's an angel. We're going to get killed. And the donkey wouldn't move. So not only did God speak to him, but a donkey spoke to him. The Lord appeared to him, and he still, because of his total greed and desire for money, disregarded everything God said and still went and helped the people try to stumble God's people. And boy, incredible, the rebellion. Just to say, you know, I don't care what God says. I'm doing whatever I want to do, and I'm going to, I'm going to circumvent God's will, and I'm going to get my own way because I'm motivated by greed. I want my money. And you know, we look at that and we think, how tragic. But you know what? We're surrounded by a world that does the same thing. That is so motivated by money, so motivated by the pursuit of worldly things that they don't care what God says. It's irrelevant. You know, if, if selling crack makes me money, I'm selling crack. I don't care. You know what I mean? If I can get away with it, then it's all good. And sadly, there's no longer a, a, a reverence for God. And so Balak had asked God something. It's interesting. He asked him, Lord, let me die a death with the righteous. He said that back in Numbers 23. 
But Balaam had no interest in living a life of righteous, so he died a death of a sinner in the company of sinners. You're going to be gathered to the people that you spent your life with. Whoever you are hanging out with here is who you're going to hang out with in eternity. Amen? Those who you pursue relationships with here are those people you're going to be spending eternity with. Now, some of you might think that's great. Yeah, we'll be shaking hands with all my friends in hell. No, you won't, because hell, it's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen? But we see here that Balaam said, let me die with the righteous, but he wouldn't live a life of the righteous. He rejected God. He didn't even listen to the donkey. Man, if that doesn't turn you around, if animals start talking to you, you know, get the LSD out of your coffee or, or listen up, right? Or look up or something, right? And the reality is you see here that he, is, he just doesn't listen. He's, I don't care. It's all about money and I'm pursuing it with my whole heart. And he went for it and he reaped the consequences of his actions. What are you pursuing? What is the passion of your life? When you wake up in the morning, what are you thinking about? Our passion ought to be the Lord. Because we're going st- to be dead a lot longer when we're alive. Amen? And we're going to spend a lot longer in eternity than we do here in this temporal planet. And where we spend eternity is a lot more important. And you know what is great? If you're walking with God, it's a joy here and now and heaven too. Amen? No one's happier than me. Nobody has more joy than me because I know my Savior. I have a relationship with the creator of the universe and it doesn't get any better than that. Sadly, Balaam had all these opportunities to know God and rebelled. And because of it, he missed out on heaven. And the children of Israel took the women of Midian captive and their little ones and took the spoil of all their cattle, all their flocks, and all their goods. They also burned with fire all the cities where they dwelt, and all their forts. And they took all the spoil, all the booty of man and beast. You know, it's interesting that initially, when Midian was looking down on them, that God had told them, God had told the children of Israel not to leave Midian and the Moabites alone. Because they were related, they were related to Abraham. And He said, just leave them alone. And they would have been left alone, and they could have even come down and joined them. And started serving God. And instead they tried to attack them. Instead they they mocked them. Instead they tried to draw them away to their own idols. And the result was not pretty. Again, they could have served the Lord. The same is true of each of us. We have a choice to make. We can serve and follow God. Or we can just do things our own way. A sanctified life is involved in the battle. Is led by the Spirit. And responds in obedience to God's command. It wasn't easy for them to do it. They were outnumbered, you guys. They were outnumbered. Can you imagine being one of the 12,000 going, How come we got 600... And 45,000 guys hanging out in the camp, and we're going to go, I don't, this, this doesn't seem right, right? Can, we, can you hook us up with some more people, right? But they didn't do that. God said go, and they said, yes, Lord, and they went. Remember, if God is for you, he can be against you. Whether by many or by few, God can do great and awesome things. Jonathan attacked an entire regiment of Philistines by himself and wiped them all out because God was with them. Verse 12. So the next thing we'll see is that a sanctified life begins to have a proper perspective on sin. Look at verse 12. Then they brought the captives, the booty and the spoil to Moses, to Eleazar the priest, and to the congregation of the children of Israel to camp in the plains of Moab by Jordan across from Jericho. And Moses, Eleazar the priest, and all the leaders of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. So they bring all this stuff, all the stuff that they've... they've uh, got together during this battle and they bring it all back and they're going to bring it into the camp and before they get to the camp Moses and Eliezer the high priest are waiting for them before they enter in now what did they bring with them verse 14 and so they brought all this stuff with them and look what it says how does Moses respond you'd think that Moses would be like yeah way to go guys 
You went out there, you were obedient to the Lord, and now you're bringing all the spoils back. You burned the place to the ground. That's great. That's not what it says. Look at verse 14. But Moses was angry with the officers of the army, with the captains over the thousands, the captains over the hundreds, who had come from battle. And Moses said to them, Have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Why was Moses angry? He was angry because they were bringing the women back. Now, I had some of you ask me, are you telling me that God wanted them to wipe out all the women and children? That just seems harsh. That just doesn't even seem right. Now, in those days, when they had a battle, they would always kill all the, all the males, male adults. Why? Because that would wipe out the army. That would keep them from being fear of them coming back and attacking later. And they would usually leave the women and children alone. But this is a unique situation. Why? Who were the ones who had come into the camp and tempted the men to follow after idols? It was the women. And so what they've done is, they've wiped out all the men thinking they've rid themselves of the problem, and now they're bringing all the idol-worshipping prostitute women right into the camp. And Moses goes, guys, were you here? In chapter 25, well, it wasn't chapter 25, but were you guys here? Weren't you here when they came down before? And what's amazing to me is Phineas is the one out there leading the army. When one of those women came into the tabernacle, what did he do to her? He threw a spear through her. Now he's bringing thousands of them back with him to bring them right into the camp. And the Lord says, what are you doing? You think that the men is the thing that's going to conquer us, but what's going to conquer us is you guys have already fallen into sexual immorality with these women and you bring them into the camp, it's going to destroy us. You know, the thing that can happen to all of us is we can start to believe that a sin that was in our past is no longer a struggle for us. The Bible says, take heed lest ye fall. No matter what that sin is that's in your past, you've got to continue to press on, pray and ask God, Lord, help me. Take heed lest you fall. These guys could have said, yeah, we had problems with those women years ago, but we're fine now. Just bring them all in here. No, 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 no. Cast that stuff out, right? And so we see here that they bring him in, and Moses' last battle, it seems pretty harsh that he would have these kind of words. But understand this about the Midianites. They had come in and tried to stumble God's people, to draw them away into idol worship. And you have to understand something. They had had 400 years of rebellion, and they refused to repent. You know how you deal with sin? You don't rehabilitate it, you annihilate it. Amen? They didn't bring them in and, you know, have them start making license plates and put them on some programs to turn their life around. That's not what happened. What happened was they had turned their back on God, they had rebelled completely against Him, and the only thing that was going to eradicate them from harming God's people was for them to be annihilated. Now, can I make it really clear to you? God has called us in the New Testament that all of that is in His hands, not ours. Amen? Vengeance is mine, our repay says the Lord. We don't have holy wars where we're fighting other people. We pray for people, and we want to see them come to know Christ. All the vengeance and stuff is in God's hands, not ours. We leave it in His hands, okay? So we see here that this, this sin that could have been brought into the camp, that God desired that this be wiped out to keep His children free from harm. The sword of justice knows no distinctions. Can a man hold fire to his bosom and not be burned? The answer is no. Could they have brought all these women into the camp and have it not impact the camp? The answer is no. In your house, can you have stuff in your house and have it not... Can you, 
guys, can you look at pornography and not have it impact you? The answer is no, it will impact you. It'll impact your marriage, it'll impact your relationship with, if you're not married right now, it'll impact the relationship you're going to have with your wife. Can you have movies and, and music and stuff that turns your eyes off of God and not be impacted by it? The answer is no. Because if you listen to it and you watch it and you're entertained by it, it's going to draw your eyes away from God. So we need to get it out of our house. Amen? Put a filter on the internet. Get that stuff out of your house because it's going to cause you to stumble and take your eyes off of God. And they also killed, we also know that they killed the male babies. And that may, again, let's take a look. It says, Now therefore kill every male among its little ones and kill every woman who has known a man intimately. Why did they kill the boys? Because boys become men and men seek vengeance. And God was protecting his people. It was 400 years of rebellion. They had had an opportunity to know God and they said no for 400 years. And now this was the consequence of their sin. Understand that God is just and God is faithful. Verse 18. But keep alive for yourselves all the young girls who have not known a man intimately. So all the young women were spared. So we see a picture of God's grace. The older women who had enticed men into sin... They had to die. The men who, would, who could militarily come back and fight them, they had to die. But the young women, they brought them in and they raised them up to know the true God of Israel. The young women who would not be drawing these men into idol worship, who had been pulled away from the idols, their entire land had been burnt to the ground, the idols were gone, and so they brought these young women in. And again, we see a picture of God's grace, that God can reach into the most wicked people and pull people out and restore them unto Himself. Amen? You know what? No matter what your background is like, he loves you, and He will forgive you if you will ask Him. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. You can't sin so much that God won't love you. It's impossible. He will always love you if you will simply turn to Him. So the sanctified life is involved in the battle, is led by the Spirit, responds in obedience to God's command, and has a proper perspective on sin. Let me just say one more word before we move on. Understand something. If we saw sin the way God sees sin, we would hate it a lot more than we do. Amen? We wouldn't look at it like it's no big deal. I'm going to heaven, so it's no big deal. It's, it's a huge deal because sin is what, kill, is what brought death. Sin is what brought disease. And sin separates us, even as believers. When we sin, we break fellowship with the Father. It's a huge deal. Amen? And too often we water it down. Oh, it's not a big deal. It's a, it's a great deal. And that's why the Lord hates it so much because He knows what it does to us and what it does to the world. So we should never take sin lightly. What does Satan want you to do? Take it lightly. Dude, you're forgiven. Go ahead. Ever heard that before? Right? Go ahead and say, oh, tell the joke. It's all right. I mean, you know, you're forgiven. God will forgive you. Yeah, go ahead. Look at that girl walking. That's no big deal. Yeah, go ahead. Cheat on your taxes a little bit. The government doesn't know what they're doing with the money anyway. They'll just buy a $97,000 hammer. So just, you know, you know, keep the money for yourself. And there's all this temptation that goes on, and God will forgive you. God will forgive you. If we have the proper attitude towards sin, we realize that sin only harms us and separates us from God. So the next thing we see is we're continue to grow and to be purified. Verse 19. And as for you, remain outside the camp seven days. Whoever has killed any person, whoever has touched any slain, purify yourselves and your captives on the third day and on the seventh day. Purify every garment, everything made of leather, everything, everything woven of goat's hair, and everything made of wood. If you were here earlier, we talked about the fact that when they touched death or came near it, they had to go through seven days of cleansing, and it had to be the ashes of a red heifer and it made it unique that they had to go find a red heifer and it had to be the ashes of that particular animal because God wanted them to always understand how significant it was for sin to be forgiven for us to be cleansed it's not easy it was a free gift but it wasn't cheap amen and so they had to go through cleansing to understand 
that death, and for death to be restored, it, was, it required a great price. Verse 21, Then Eleazar the priest said to the men of war who had gone to the battle, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded Moses. Only the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead, everything that can endure the fire, you shall put through the fire, and it shall be clean, and it shall be put purified with the water of purification. But all that cannot endure the fire, you shall put through water. And you shall wash your clothes on the seventh day and be clean, and afterward you shall come into the camp. Now what has that got to do with you and me? Let me tell you. In Numbers, we've seen that there are two ways that people are purified, or two ways that things are purified. And in this text, it says they're purified through fire or by water. Fire in the Bible is a picture of trials, and water is a picture of truth or God's Word. When we go through trials, what happens to us? We grow spiritually. How do you find out where you really are in your walk with God? You go through a trial. You won't ever understand exactly where you are with the Lord unless you go through a difficult time. God said to Abraham, Take your son, your only son Isaac, and offer him to me as a sacrifice. And Abraham took him up, and as you know the story, on Mount Moriah, he laid him down, he raised up a knife, and he was about to kill him, and God stopped him. And he said, Now I know that you love me more than your son, your family, you know, your career, your ministry, anything. You put me first. When you go through trials, that's how you find out where you are spiritually. If something difficult comes into your life and you panic and you're out of control and you lose it, then you can tell that spiritually you're not doing too good. Amen? But in the midst of you growing spiritually, those trials come. Then you find out where your walk is with the Lord. Now, how are you prepared for trials? How are you prepared? By the water. Because what does the water do? It cleanses us. And what is the water? The water is God's Word. It says in Ephesians, that you might sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of the water by the Word of God. How are you prepared for that most difficult thing that's going to come into your life? You spend time with the Lord, you grow in your relationship with Him, and then when the difficulty comes, you're ready. Amen? Some of you, I know in this room, that a year ago, your walk with God was a lot different. You've been through trials lately, and you've even said to me, I can't believe that if this had happened a year ago, I'd have been outside my mind. But it happened now, and I'm telling you, I just have a peace about it, because I know the God of the Bible. And he loves me, and I'm in his hands, and he's sovereign, it's okay. So I'm going to get to watch God work. And it's going to be great, because God's awesome, and he's in control, amen? And he's faithful. But if everything was always the cruise ship to heaven, we would never have an opportunity to be a testimony to the world around us. Without a test, there can be no testimony, amen? Without those trials, we don't find out where we are spiritually. And he says, you're going to be purified. Here's how we purify it. Put it through the fire. You put metal in fire, you know what happens to metal in fire? All the dross or the debris rises to the top, and they just keep scraping it off. And you know when they stop scraping it off? When they can see the reflection in the gold. And you know what? That's what happens to us. As we go through the trials and we become more like the Lord, then the world starts to see a reflection of Him in us. Amen? And the water cleanses us, and what does it do, as we've seen here? The Word of God increases our faith, it reveals our sin, and it drives us to holy living, and it prepares us for trials. That's the sanctified life. It, again, it isn't just something we do for an hour on Sunday or an hour on Wednesday. It's being sanctified, which means set apart to serve God. You're one of His kids. I know we've got a lot of verses. We're going to go through this last part quickly. Look at verse 25. 
Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Count up the plunder that was taken of the, a man and beast, you and Eleazar the priest, the chief and the fathers of the congregation, and divide the plunder into two parts, between those who took part in war and those who went into the battle, and all the congregation. So here's what's going to happen. They come back with all this stuff. We're going to see a list of it here in a second. And what's amazing to me is they divide it between those who went to battle and those who stayed home. Does that seem fair? So 12,000 guys went into battle and, and risked their lives, and the other people were back having a barbecue or something, right? Other people were chilling, having a barbecue, having some, you know, banana sandwiches or something, right? You know, and, and they're eating manna, and they're hanging out, and they're just having a good time, and I wonder how the, I wonder how the war's going. I wonder how those, how's it working out for those guys, right? These guys come dragging back in. Now they've been defiled. They've got to stay outside the city for seven days and go through all this cleansing before they can even come back into the camp. And then they're going to split up the stuff. Now, our response would be, well, wait a minute, that ain't right. But I want you to see something here. And I think this is really a key. And I think it's really a key for each of us to hear this. In every congregation on this planet, there's a small group of people that are willing to go into battle, even when it's not convenient, even when it's difficult. They're willing to to bless and minister to, to other people. And you know what? That small group always blesses the entire congregation. That's an absolute fact. You go into any church and there's a small portion of people that are willing to do anything and everything and they don't care if anybody ever knows it. And they're just doing it for the Lord. And you know who gets blessed? Everybody. Amen? Because of that small number. 12,000 out of 3 million. That's a small number, right? But yet because they were faithful, who got blessed? Everybody. And the same is true in the kingdom of God. You know, most people come to church saying, how can you minister to my needs? What can you do for me? What do you have for me? How can you bless me? And again, when they come with that heart, we just love them and we bless them. And we try to minister to them. But as we grow spiritually, we should be coming to church saying, not saying, how can you minister to me, but how can I minister to you? How can I love you? How can I serve others? How can I get into the battle? How can I step out and use the gifts you've given me, Lord, that others might be blessed? How do I become part of the 12,000 instead of part of the 3 million that's napping and missing out on God's blessing? Amen? And because of that small group going out and being faithful and not just coming when it fits into their schedule or when it's convenient or when they're well-rested, but they come desiring to serve as unto the Lord with no need for reward or recognition. Their love for God, the Holy Spirit convicting them, compels, compels them to serve. And again, the result is that everybody gets blessed. But I want you to see something here. Look what it says in verse 28. It says, And levy a tribute... For the Lord on the men of war. And it says, And they went out to the battle, one of every 500 of the persons, and the cattle, and the donkeys, and the sheep. Take it from their half and give it to Eleazar the priest as a heave offering to the Lord. So what they did was they took the offering and they split it in half. So that means the 12,000 that went out got half, and the other 2,988,000 got the other half. So the guys who went into battle actually did get more blessed, and actually did grow more, and actually did get encouraged more. You know what? I have yet to meet a person who's proactive in ministry that isn't growing spiritually. I've never met that person. I think it's impossible for you to be teaching the children's ministry and not growing. It's impossible for you to be a part of the worship team and not be growing. It's it's impossible for you even to come here early and set up chairs and just have a heart to serve and not be growing. Because when you have that heart to serve, your, everything changes, your perspective changes, your desires change, amen? Those are the people growing. 
Those are people that are, are blessed. And I'm not talking about wealth bless, blessings. I'm talking about spiritually growing and getting your eyes on God and falling deeper in love with Him. And so the 12,000, they did get more blessed because they were the ones, remember, the priest and those who served God were the ones that got to camp closest to the tabernacle. Remember that? They were the closest to the glory of God. Those who spend the most time serving others are the ones that are closest to His glory. Then it says, out of what they get, this is a, sounds so measly to me, God takes them out and wins the battle for them, and then He wants one five-hundredth of their stuff. Does that sound like nothing to you? One five-hundredth. So for every $500, give me a buck. That's what he's telling them. Now, who, who, brought the, who gave them everything they had? The Lord did. And he only asked them for two-tenths of one percent from those who went into battle. Look at verse 30. And from the children of Israel's half, you shall take one out of every 50, drawn from the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, the sheep, from all the livestock, and give them to the Levites who keep charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Moses and Eleazar the priest did all the Lord commanded. So from the congregation, they gave two percent. And from the people who served, they gave two-tenths of a percent. But I want you to see something that's going to happen. Because I really love this. We're almost done here. And I want you to see this. Let's take a look at the plunder real quick. I'm just going to read this to you. The booty remaining from the plunder, which the men of war had taken, was 675,000 sheep. Man, that's some sheep. That is some sheep. You got 12,000 guys just herding up 675,000 sheep. I mean, can you just hear the noise, right? And they're just dragging them in there, right? Along with 675,000 sheep, they had 72,000 cattle. And along with that, they had 61,000 donkeys. One of them could talk, too, right? So they're bringing these... Well, right? It was one of the donkeys. So they're bringing, they're bringing the donkeys back. I mean, maybe the donkey helped the guys this way, but you know... But they had 61,000 donkeys, they got all this cattle, and God, they're bringing it all back. God had blessed them with all of this, because they simply went out and obeyed Him. They obeyed, and God blessed them. When we're obedient, God is glorified, and we get blessed. When we're disobedient, God is mocked, and we reap the consequences. Amen? So let's walk in obedience to the Lord. Let's trust Him. So they bring all these animals in, and it says, And half the portion of those who had gone out to war was his number 375,500 sheep. And the Lord's tribute of the sheep was 675. The cattle was 36,000, of which the Lord's was 72. Out of 36,000, it only took 72. The donkeys were 30,500, of which the Lord's tribute was 61. And the persons were 16,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 32 persons. So those, these young women, 32 of them, were sent to serve with the priests. And all that tribute was brought to, to, to minister to the priests, to take care of their needs, and to use in sacrifice. That's what it was brought for. So Moses gave the tribute, which was the Lord's heave offering to Eleazar the priest, as the Lord commanded. And from the children of Israel's half, so the congregation's half, which Moses separated from the men, now the half that belonged to the congregation, it's the exact same numbers, but you'll notice down here in verse 47, and from the children of Israel's half, he took every 50 drawn from man and beast, and gave them to the Levites, who kept charge of the tabernacle of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. So they had these offerings, they gave them unto the Lord, and this should be the end of it. But I want you to see two more things, these last five verses. Look at verse 48. Then the officers, who were over the thousands of the army, the captains of the thousands, and the captains of the hundreds, came near to Moses, and they said to Moses, Your servants have taken account of the men of war who are under our command, and not one not a man of us is missing. 
Now think about this. When you're sanctified and set apart unto the Lord, you're also protected by God. 12,000 guys went out to fight, and 12,000 guys came back. 12,000 guys went out to fight a couple hundred thousand guys, and none of them died. 12,000 guys went up and burnt their city to the ground and got all, their, all the spoils and brought them all back, and not one of them died. How is that possible? God's hand. Amen? When we're sanctified and set apart unto the Lord and we're serving Him with our whole heart, we're protected by God. You know what? If you're in the center of God's will, whatever happens to you, it's okay because God's in control. Lord, I'm walking in obedience to you. Whatever you choose to do, it's all right because I'm in your hand. But if I go outside of His will and I'm living my own way and the consequences come, now I've got me to deal with. That's my problem. I've done it, right? I go out and, and, and cheat on my wife and, and get a sexually transmitted disease. Whose fault is that? A woman gets pregnant. Whose fault is that? That's mine. But if I'm walking in the center of God's will and I'm serving with my whole heart and all of a sudden I come down with a disease or something, I'm going to say, okay, that's all right, Lord. You brought it. It's part of that fire. It's part of that test that brings forth a testimony. I'm walking in the center of your will, Lord. It's okay. Bring it on. You'll be glorified through it. Amen? But if I go outside of his will, then I bring harm to his name. They're outnumbered. They killed the men, but not one man dead. We are indestructible until God is through with us. Amen? Now, I want you to watch their reaction. I love this. This is the last point. Watch how they respond. This is awesome. Look what they do. Therefore, we have brought an offering, verse 50, to the Lord, that every man found that ornaments of gold and armlets and bracelets and signet rings and earrings and necklaces to make atonement for themselves before the Lord. You know what these guys did? We're going to see in a minute. They brought in 420 pounds worth of gold and gave it to God. God said, I want one five hundred. They said, no, Lord, we're going to give you the best we have. You only want one five hundred from us? Lord, we're not going to give you one five hundred and keep 499 points of it for us. Lord, we're going to give you the best that we have. When you understand what God has done for you, you want to give Him the best that you have. Amen? These guys come back and realize God delivered us all from the enemy. Lord, I want to give you everything I have. God has delivered every single one of us that's been born again from eternity separated from God. Should we not want to give him the best of all that we have? Amen? I love this. This is worship. That's exactly what this is. These guys come in and say, Lord, what you've done for me just blows my mind. I'm not even worthy. Lord, I'm going to give you the best that I have. I know you don't want anything from me. You just want one five hundred. Lord, I'm going to give you the best. We're going to give you the gold. We're going to give you the ornaments. We're going to give you everything, Lord, because, you know, we love you. And there's nothing more important in the world to us. Gold means nothing to us. You mean everything to us. Lord, I give it all to you. Man, what a heart of worship. That's what God desires that would come from us as well. So Moses and Eliezer the priest, verse 51, received the gold from them and all the fashioned ornaments and all the gold of the offering that they offered the Lord from the captains of the thousands, the captains of the hundreds, was 16,750 shekels. That's 420 pounds of gold. The men of war had taken spoil, every man for himself. So they take the things that were actually their own, that belonged to them, and they gave it all to the Lord. And Moses and Eliezer the priests received the gold from the captains of the thousands and hundreds and brought them into the tabernacle of meeting for, as a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord. So what did they do with this gold? They took this gold and they fashioned something that they would remember God's deliverance. They created something and put it as a memorial to God in the tabernacle so that every time they saw it, they would remember God delivered us. You know what? They came home and saw their family intact. 12,000 guys. Remember, they're all related, right? 12 tribes of Israel. 
And they saw all their family intact, and they were so blown away that they could do nothing but praise God. You know what? When was the last time that you looked around at your family, and you looked around at what God has blessed you with, and you just thanked Him from the depths of your heart? You know what? Go home tonight and tuck your kids in and thank God for them. Amen? We are so blessed. Even if you've gone through difficulties and trials, what has God given you? He's not only saved you for eternity and given you eternal life, but He's also blessed you here and now. And these guys were blown away because of God's mighty hand delivering them. You know what? I, I have to confess. I thank God for you guys. You guys are my family. I pray for you every week, and I thank God for you. you I'm blessed that I get to be your pastor and serve you and love you and minister to you, and I thank God for you. You're a blessing. And you know what? We ought to be thanking God more. You know what? If we were thanking God more for what He has done for us, we wouldn't be depressed about the stuff that we don't have. Amen? Amen? We wouldn't be all bummed out about stuff that doesn't matter anyway. Thank you, Lord, for what you've given us. So in closing, in closing, the sanctified life. Someone who lives a sanctified life is involved in the battle. Someone who lives a sanctified life is led by the Holy Spirit. Someone who's living a sanctified life responds in obedience to God's command, to His Word. Someone who lives a sanctified life begins to put sin in its proper place and understand what it does. Someone who lives a sanctified life continues to grow and be purified through trials and through truth, through difficulties of life and spending time in the Word. The last three. Someone who lives a sanctified life is blessed by God. Someone who lives a sanctified life is protected by God. And someone who lives a sanctified life has a heart of worship toward God. Amen? And so praise the Lord that God didn't just save us and give us the get-out-of-hell-free card, but He desires that we have an intimate walk with Him, and He wants to bless us, He wants to use us for His glory, and God wants to take the people in this room and, help, and use us to turn Santa Cruz County right side up. Amen? To see this place transformed, may it start in our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You and I praise You for Your love and Your grace. And we do thank You, Lord, that for all you've given us, may we never take for granted what you've already done. First and foremost, you saved us when we were not worthy. You took our sin upon yourself on the cross and died that we might have eternal life and we don't deserve it. But we thank you, Lord, that you loved us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you, Lord, that you gave us your Holy Spirit to live inside of us, that we can walk with you and talk with you all day, every day, and have intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe. We thank you, Lord, that we have the promise of heaven to come. That, that from, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and we look forward to the day when we will see you face to face, and we will be around your throne forevermore. And Lord, we thank you for the blessings you've given us here on earth. We thank you for our family. We thank you for our precious children. We thank you for our spouses. We thank you for your provision for us financially. We thank you for the careers that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for everything, because Lord, without you, we would have nothing. Without you, we can do nothing. So Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. May we keep our eyes on you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.